Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 245. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Cars 2. We sure are. Not much else to say. We did our reaction to the IndieWire Pixar rankings a couple of weeks ago. We disagreed with most of their uh, say, their opinion. This was one that they got right, putting it at the back of the list. At number 26. However, we thought number 27 should have been The Good Dinosaur. So they're saying that Good Dinosaur is better than this film. Yeah, well, so they're right, but they're still wrong. The, the, numerically, the placement of this movie was fine, but it is not worse than Good Dinosaur. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's tough with Pixar. So many of their movies are good, right? Even the ones that are that are back far on the list, they're still good movies because they've made so many great movies. I'm not giving anything away by saying that this is not one of the great ones. It's not even one of the good ones. It's funny, though, because I remember seeing it in theaters and I remember that I liked it then and I enjoyed it um to be honest haven't returned to it much since and now I kind of realize why yeah um let's let's just get into it what is it about the movie that doesn't hold up what makes it feel so much different from the other Cars films that on top of many other things is what we are here to discuss today this episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co designers of handmade silkscreen shirts Fierce Fox has a t-shirt tank top hoodie or crew neck for every fandom so whether it's the movies or theme parks princesses or villains the MCU or Star Wars everyone will find something they love the designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles such as sketchbook and concert tees Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxCo.com to check out all of the collections. British intelligence spy Finn McMissile. They're all Irish. McQueen, McMissile. <laughs> Very original. Finn McMissile boards an oil rig filled with lemon cars who are in possession of a weaponized television camera. The lemons discover him and fight him off. He fakes his own death to keep the lemons off his trail. Back in Radiator Springs, Lightning McQueen has returned after winning his fourth Piston Cup. Mater has a summer of fun planned for them, but Lightning also wants to spend time with Sally. While watching TV, Mater sees Sir Miles Axelrod has founded a World Grand Prix to show the world that his all-in-all alternative fuel is better and safer than fossil fuel. Italian formula driver, or car I should say, Francesco Bernoulli mocks Lightning for taking time off instead of racing and after Mater calls into the show and is mocked by Bernoulli as well. McQueen accepts the challenge and apprehensively brings Mater with him, so the team heads to Japan for the first race. Mater is immediately out of place and starts to embarrass Lightning. Meanwhile, Finn McMissile arrives and meets Agent Holly Shiftwell, who mentions that there is a secret American agent who has a meetup planned with them. After quote-unquote leaking oil, Mater heads to the bathroom where the American agent is attacked and plants his tracking device on Mater, who is approached by uh, Shiftwell, who sets up a rendezvous which Mater confuses for a date. We also see that the Lemons have turned the television camera into a pulse emitter that causes all in all to explode. 
The next day, Shiftwell taps into Mater's headset as he communicates with her. Lightning believes that Mater is spotting him during the race and gives him bad advice that costs him the win. Meanwhile, Mater has left the race to rendezvous with Shiftwell while the Lemons use their camera to start blowing up car engines, leading to speculation that all in all is not safe. Lightning becomes angry with Mater after losing the race, so Mater leaves to go back to Radiator Springs, but is intercepted by McMissile and Shiftwell, who bring him on their plane where he realizes they are secret agents. He sees a photo of a car's engine and helps them realize that the parts are after market, so they head to France to find the source of the parts. This trip and talk with Finn's informant sends them to Italy, the site of the next race. During the race, the camera causes more damage, leading to a victory for Lightning. However, Finn is captured, and it is declared that all in all will not be used in the third race in London. Mater infiltrates a meeting of the Lemons, where he learns that McQueen will be killed in London for continuing to use all in all, because he does not want to not use the alternative fuel. Mater is captured before he can tell Lightning the plan and wakes up in London, strapped inside Big Bentley with Finn and Holly, when he confesses that he is not a spy. During the final race, the cameras fail to work, so the Lemons are forced to go with Plan B a bomb that they planted in the quote-unquote pits. Mater breaks free and heads to the pits to clear them out, while McMissile and Shiftwell go after the lemons. We learn that the bomb was actually placed in Mater as a replacement to his air filter because they knew he would go to the pits. He tries to avoid lightning who pursues him to apologize for his previous actions. We learn that the bomb can also, or can only be deactivated by the car who activated it. Turns out it was Axelrod, who never converted to electric, was never using all in all, and set this whole thing up to make alternative fuel look bad, because he, in fact, has access to fossil fuel. And that's going to make it more valuable. The Queen Knights Mater, and they go home to Radiator Springs, where we learn that Sarge swapped the oil for uh, Fillmore's. And that's why Lightning was not able to be destroyed by the television camera. And they also launch a Grand Prix in Radiator Springs. Um, so this movie starts. And um, I didn't know what we were watching. The whole time through this intro, I was waiting for the reveal that they were watching a movie at the newly renovated Radiator Springs drive-in. Yeah, because you do see the drive-in later in the movie. Right. So I'm thinking that that's what they're setting up and we're just going to, you know, start like like any sequel would with sort of a reset. Just check in with all of your major characters, show where they are right now. Um this is just such a jarring genre flip, but it's also th the nature of what they are doing is so far fetched. I mean, once you get past the, okay, the cars are spy elements and this is all real and in this world right now, it's just so hard to get into it because you have a car on a boat climbing up an oil rig. So I mean, the the first one, what's so masterful about it is that, like, we don't have to dis suspend our disbelief that far to buy into the cars as people. And right. the world building is just so well done. It doesn't take that much for us to buy into the personification of these cars. So I feel like this is just asking way too much of the audience 
to get on board with in the beginning, especially because we we're not seeing anyone that we know. It's it's just too much happening all at once as far as the genre flip and introducing new characters. Yeah, and it just feels disjointed, right? Like it doesn't feel like a Cars movie because I mean, yeah, the characters are all Cars. It it says it in the title, but the first film was about racing and about Lightning McQueen having a full character arc and sort of coming of age to a certain extent. In this, the racing seems like a subplot to put them in these countries so that it further drives home the fact that you're watching a spy film, which is just odd that that's the direction that they took it in. I think it's also not just the spy element as far as the genre flip. It's the setting because, again, you're out in the middle of the ocean. But because they also sort of portray McMissile as an action hero with all of these tricks that he's pulling out, it it does feel very much James Bond. Like as far as sort of parodying something like that, you nailed it. But it's just too far removed from what we know and what they've already established. What I do give them credit for, and I think this is one of the few things that they got right, is that Pixar, and this is a rarity, clearly establishes a passage of time. Once we get back to Radiator Springs, we do learn that Lightning has won three Piston Cups. In that time, Doc has... Passed away, is that the right term? <laughs> yes. He's actually won four piston four piston cups. Right, but it's it's three the three years is the time yes, jump. Yes, it is. And and yeah, so Doc is gone. And and they, they opted to not recast the character. I I think that this is fine. I think that Paul Newman is a very difficult actor to replace, and I think that to service the passing of the torch, that doesn't happen until the third film, by the way. Um, this was the right way to go about it. Paul Newman obviously was not here anymore to reprise the role. So if you're going to pass the torch, they should have passed the torch here. And I don't want to spoil too much of my review for next week. But the thing is, it seems like they planted something here and then waited an entire film to really follow through on it. It it seems like if you were going to do it, perhaps now would have been the time. And I'm not saying that you should have flipped the second and third film, just because I don't think that this film, I don't care if I'm spoiling my review. I don't think that this film necessarily works. And I don't think that you needed to take this shift doing a spy film, but it, it seems like you, it seems like you wrote something in because you didn't know what else to do because the actor wasn't there and you figured, well, we're going to figure it out later. It's almost like they were all they had already written this film and then he passed away and they didn't want to go through a rewrite. So they kind of just wrote him out of it. I don't want to get too far ahead, but these were a couple of points that I was going to make. And since you're hitting on them now, I think it's a good idea to bring them up because this is what is sort of working against the film. Um, Yeah, I'm okay with Doc because you also had another recasting with Fillmore because you didn't have George Carlin. And to me, that stands out like a sore thumb. 
And Fillmore doesn't have nearly as many lines as Doc in the first one. So, I mean, I I think it's fair to say that Doc is more of a major character. So if Fillmore stands out that much, it's just way too much to have done that with two of them. So that I'll buy. But you do put a pin in... You know, they're they're alluding to how much the relationship between Lightning and Doc developed with Doc being, um, you know, his his team captain. Right. Um, so now you see like I love how they have the museum. You see all of the the news articles. You see Doc's history. And as you said, the passing of the baton to Lightning. And now he's coming up in his career. But. That all gets pushed to the side because really this becomes Mater's movie. And what's interesting to me is I thought they were trying to go for a Finding Dory type of sequel with a character that was very popular in the franchise, a a breakout character, and give them their own movie. This was five years before Finding Dory came out. So really, if anything, Finding Dory is emulating this. But I think that this was a way to take what people really latched onto in cars, which was Mater being this great source of comic relief, but it doesn't work as that main storyline. And I, I think you're right. I agree with you. I think that to tie in racing, that's why they took it international. And to me, that's one of probably the biggest strikes against this film. It, it feels to be like it feels like a third sequel. Like when you think about things like Jurassic Park, as bad as that one is, like they took it out of the park and into the United States. Or like even with the Fast and the Furious franchise, they they built up to Tokyo Drift. So to go this big, it feels like you're running out of storylines, and that's why they they usually push the story internationally. Here they're doing it in the sequel you still had so much material to work with and you lost one of the things that makes the f- the first cars so charming is that Americana feel. To me, had they, if they wanted to introduce this spy element, I feel like this could have worked in Vegas. If you had started in Vegas, then maybe you want to take it internationally. Okay, fine, if we're going to do it. But I feel like had they done this in Vegas and stripped it of the spy element and maybe just made our main cast start becoming aware that, um, you know, big oil is up to no good. It would have worked much better. And if they had done it as more of like a, a whodunit instead of focusing on the spies, I think it would have worked a lot better. Yeah, I agree. Um, and to touch on what you said about, Mater being the breakout character, which he was. So naturally, a sequel, you know, back in the 90s, this would have gone straight to VHS. Right. And it would have been a Mater movie. But instead, um, because the box office is just, at the time, was worth so much, and because uh, everything's going to be a trilogy, if the first movie, it's built into contracts now, that if a movie's a hit, you're signed on for at least two more. Everything is going to be a trilogy in the world of Disney. So it's not a surprise that this would go to theaters. Um, And it it is a big shift from what was happening in the 90s. The problem is that I love Mater in the first movie. 
Mater is not as lovable in this movie. And and they, and they plant the mistake happens from the moment lightning gets back into Radiator Springs because Mater has this whole summer set up with his best friend and and it's like you're so excited that Simple Mater is going to have lightning his best friend you you watched this beautiful friendship develop in the first film and he doesn't get it like like he just like doesn't get it mm-hmm. like no it's not going to be all about you because he also wants to spend some time with Sally the step backwards here is that Mater himself was aware that Lightning wanted private time with Sally in the first film to the point where he goes, all right, lovebirds, and leaves them by their lonesome. Right, and when everybody restores their neon, he makes sure that um, that uh, Sally and Lightning take their stroll together. Correct. So it's a total step backwards because it's like, well, growth be damned, we need him to be sad and we need to feel bad for him. And it kind of doesn't really service Lightning very well because I look at that and I go, well, you just spent the whole day with him. You're going to spend the whole day with him tomorrow. He just wants to have dinner with Sally. You should not make Lightning look like the bad guy because he wants to spend time with Sally. Well, I think what also sort of falls apart here is that this is the only time we get to see their relationship progress. So Sally and that whole storyline gets put on the back burner, too. Other than suggesting Lightning take Mater with him, her her role is done for this movie. Yeah, and I mean, look, for, for, the, for the service of the film, it worked. Take him with you. It worked. And and what works here is when Lightning very reluctantly takes him, does not want to take him because he, he knows how he's going to behave in front of the sponsors, in front of the bigwigs, and it kind of toys with you as the audience. This is one of the few things that the movie does right. You understand it from Lightning's perspective because Lightning factually, business sense, not wrong, morally wrong, but factually not incorrect, that it's probably not the best idea to take Mater with him, but he wants to do the right thing. Sally talks him into it. So... This is, like, instead of making us feel bad for Mater because Lightning wants to leave him behind to go have dinner for two hours, they at least got it right in this perspective. I would agree with that, but I want to talk about the dinner scene because that whole thing does feel forced. Because you do finally have Mater agree to let him have the evening, and then he dresses up as a waiter and crashes their dinner anyway. Um, I realize that you do have to get him there to make this phone call into the show. Um, I do like that whole setup, how we're setting up um, Axelrod as a news story, as a person of interest. I think that's really clever. But then once you get to the phone call um, where they have the interview with Francesco, um, it just it feels really forced that Mater is calling in to defend his friend. 
Um, the only thing to me that balances it out is like how riled up Francesco is getting. And then when lightning gets on the call, he pushes his buttons. That's even better. So that part's all funny. Um, I like seeing this hotel fully restored. I like that they're establishing that, uh, Luigi Guido Fillmore and Sarge are all traveling with lightning. They're part of his team and this is their downtime too. Um, But what would have been helpful is to establish why Mater doesn't get to come along, why Sally doesn't get to go. I mean, I realize that everybody else has a function as far as being part of the pit crew and everybody is contributing to the team in that way. But I feel like it would have been more impactful as far as putting Mater down and and not wanting to bring him along to find out why he's been left back in the first place. Like, I think we're all just supposed to assume already that he's not going to be able to handle himself. And then they have to come out and say it. And I feel like this whole thing is just forced to get us overseas. I think it's forced to get us overseas, but I think that it is implied. And I I don't know that you necessarily need to point it out specifically that he's going to make a spectacle of himself and he's going to embarrass him. I th- I think the implication is is enough. But that's I mean, it wouldn't have hurt the movie if you put it in. Of all of the problems that this film has, believe that's not what was going to save it. But that's what I'm saying is, they they do come out and say it. So it works for this moment, but why hasn't Mater been with him the entire time, but others get to go? Well, because Mater also has a function in the town that the rest of them don't. I mean, Fillmore sells his organic oil to who? To Lightning. You only ever see him sell it to Lightning. Sarge is running, you know, an Army-Navy store that nobody shops in. Uh, Luigi and Guido... Yeah, they've got the tire shop. It makes sense to put them there. Like, of all of the characters that go with him, the two that should have stayed in Radiator Springs probably should have been Luigi and Guido, but you've already established that Guido can change the tire so fast that you've sort of painted yourself into a corner with right, him. Right, right. Um, Sally's the town attorney. Flo has the cafe. Yeah. I Mater's mean, the only tow truck in town. But that's what I'm saying. Everybody else kind of checks out as to why they can't go. So I feel like by giving us a reason that Mater's not on this team, it wouldn't have regressed Lightning's character so much because we see the hesitation that he doesn't want him to go this time when Sally suggests it. And then once they get to Tokyo and Mater starts embarrassing him, Lightning asks Mater to tone it down. It completely negates the character arc that we built in the first one. So I feel like, that was enough where he's putting Mater down because we see all of that play out. We didn't need to see this hesitation here. Let's, all right, let's get to Japan. Let's get to Tokyo. The animation here is unbelievable, by the way. It's great. And there are some funny moments too, like even when they're they're on the plane and uh, Lightning and Mater are watching a wipeout type of show. It's That's funny. That's a nice touch. Yeah. We get to Japan, we get to this party, and um, you have the guy working with the sand and the rake, and Mater says, you done good, you got all the leaves. It's hysterical. Like, this is the thing. Mater has lines in the movie that are very funny. Um, and the problem is that as funny as they are, 
sometimes it's a little too much. And I don't necessarily think that we regress Lightning. I don't think we undo his character arc. I think that we dumb down Mater for the sake of making a movie. And, and here's my thing. Let me ask you, when, when Lightning says to him, because Lightning puts it kind of lightly with him, very much with Kid Gloves, where he doesn't want to just come out and say it. And this is where I don't agree that we've lost everything that was great about Lightning's arc. Lightning says to him, you know, Mater, we're not in Radiator Springs anymore. Right. Like, it, things are very different here. Because Lightning is not thinking about protecting his image as a car. It's about protecting his reputation as a racer. He's thinking about it from the business end. They don't come out and say it, but I think that that's what's implied, is that he's thinking about this more of the big picture because he knows what's at stake here. Going overseas, racing against Formula One cars, defending the fact that he's got four piston cups. It's, it's his reputation as a racer. How do you feel when he says we're not in Radiator Springs? I feel like he's talking to a five-year-old and this is where I will maintain that I feel like it's a character regression because part of his arc in the first one was learning to put his ego aside and learn how to treat people well and let people into your life. So he did that with Mater and you know, the way that they develop this friendship when they, when they do the tractor tipping and all of that, this is completely outside of everything that lightning ever knew but he embraced mater so it's kind of like you you knew what you were getting yourself into and even though sally sort of coerced you into bringing him you kind of knew that this was what was going to happen um i do appreciate you know you do see those moments of mater in the first one like i will always chuckle uh at the leaves joke i think that's a great one but i feel like it goes too far with the wasabi well this is what i'm talking about it, it, you know this is where mater becomes too much where he's he's just he's been told by lightning hey you know let's be careful let's remember where you are you're not in radiator space but he just can't help himself but trip over himself and i i feel like the mater in the first film wouldn't have done this Right. I mean, I get that we're playing up the fish out of water element for comedy, but this is where you didn't need to take it overseas to do that. Mater would have done this anywhere well, and it would have been funny. Just taking him out of his environment and putting him anywhere in the United States, it would have been funny. Well, comedy also only works when it is funny. And a great deal of what they do is not funny. That's the biggest problem. It, it just becomes too... Like, I get... An, my th Here's my thing. You want to make a Mater movie in which the audience is annoyed with Mater within 15 minutes of the film if you are over the age of six years old. And I understand that this is a family film, although it couldn't get a G rating because of the amount of guns and bombs that are in it, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Um... This is where it, it, this is another area for me where it feels disjointed. Like, the first film appeals to six year olds because it's animated race cars. But the subject matter and the characters and the story are enough where an adult can enjoy it. 
I don't think that there's any way adults can enjoy this movie. But at the same time, you tried to make it an adult movie. This is a... It's... it's yeah, it, it's, it, it's confused. This movie is confused within 20 minutes. It, it it loses its identity and it loses its track within 20 minutes. It clashes too much with the spy elements. And then you're trying to pull the kids back in with the lowbrow humor as exemplified in the next scene in the bathroom. Um, I realize that we need this for exposition. You need Mater to overhear um you know, the bad guy's plot. And then you have to introduce the idea of the spy, the other spies being there, the real spies. Um, I mean, like I said, there's a lot that we are asked to suspend our disbelief for. And I never really had to read into, well, how do these personified cars use a bathroom? Like I'm fine. They don't even have beds or anything. They just kind of pull into their garages and they sleep. I don't even need to know that they sleep. So to me, to see all of this not only play out where you're going into the bathroom, um, and I realized they were trying to pull in the Japanese culture and they were trying to use that to play up on the humor of the situation. But like, I didn't need to see Mayor Mater clamp down and the bidet and the whole thing. Like that was just way too much. We did not need to go into the stall with him. The point could have been proven just at the sink or something. This was, it, it was just far too much. Um, but I love how just because of who Mater is, he knows that confirmation phrase of, when the spies are, are trying to verify that they're working together and they, what is it? They ask about, I think the radiator or Volkswagen, something like that. And he's able to answer it just because he knows. Yeah. His knowledge of vehicles, having been a tow truck for so long and having towed so many different cars, like they, like that becomes a major plot point, but only in a few fleeting moments. It's like they, they could have leaned into it more. They should have leaned into it more. And they didn't because, well, I, I'm no, I'm putting a pin in it because at that at that point, I should just wrap this up and give you my final review and move on so that we can go talk about a good movie like Cars 3. Um, let's put a pin in it. Let's stay in the bathroom scene for just a moment, which is not um, anything I, I typically say about any film. Um, the secret agent planting the tracking device on Mater as a vehicle, pun intended, for keeping the film moving forward does not make sense to me because in the real world, an agent is going to do what they have to do. They would just destroy the piece. They're not going to willingly give it up, but they're also not just going to plant it on anybody. Right. Um, so this to me just does not make sense. Honestly, I I really feel like they wrote this for comedy so that they didn't lose the kids within within a convoluted plot at this point. Well, because this this movie is confusing. It's confusing even for adults. So how a six year old is supposed to follow it, I don't understand. I think the hope was, well, it's an action movie and Mater is going to be funny and have fart jokes. Kids get it. This is where this is some of the worst writing we've ever seen from not only Pixar, but also, you know, I know from Disney, because now Disney, I believe, has acquired Pixar at this point. But even if they haven't, um, 
Disney's writing was always so good because you appealed, again, I'm not going to say it a, a, a third time, you appealed to the entire family. It wasn't just kids. It wasn't just adults. You found appeal for everybody. This movie lacks that. And and it's so, so poorly written. Um, to the point where, how do you feel about this? We actually see cars, at least one for sure. You see a car get killed. You see a car killed. That American spy car is killed. He's tortured and he's killed. You're talking about... When they show what the television camera can really do. When the lemons show what the television camera can really do. When they make the American spy car, when they fill him with the all-in-all. Yes, you're right. Because we see that and then we see, um, in the very beginning, we see the other British spy that McMissile was going to meet up with. We see him crushed into a square. Oh, that's right. So we have a body count of two. (laughs) We have a body count of two. In a Cars film. I am not the most sensitive person on earth. Okay? And I don't claim to be. I don't particularly care that there's guns and bombs in this movie because you're making a spy film. The same people that'll cry and complain that there's guns in a Cars movie are the same people that are taking their kids to see Captain America. Okay? So, let's just call it what it is. But I don't need to see a body count in a children's film like Cars. This isn't Frozen where you know the parents die when the swell overtakes the ship, okay? This isn't Mufasa. This is murder. (laughs) I mean, so was Mufasa, but... They cut away from it. Yes. This is is just murder. And I don't think it was really necessary. It's a little intense because even in the racing scenes, you know, you know, going in, if you're watching a race, there's always going to be a possibility of a crash. But like those cars are designed to do that. It's it's how they're built. They can take the impact. So they're not going to lean into it that hard to portray the crashes in the animation. But that's like the worst it should be. You're right. This this is just a little bit extreme. And that's where I go back to, did we really need the spy element? Because otherwise, the the whole plot with Big Oil is working. I actually love the bones here and what they tried to do with that and how, you know, Axelrod is the big the big bad the entire time. And he's, you know, front facing as this great guy who did this amazing thing. I actually think it's not only great for this film, but I think it was way ahead of its time because those are issues that are still happening now. So that was all really great. It's just the spy element to me is what messes it up. If if you had just taken Mater and his knowledge of cars pursuing this on his own, thinking that he's helping Lightning. And then once Lightning casts him off, he decides to go out on his own and then he's the one who needs to be rescued. It would have worked just as well. I completely Or not just as well, better, I should say. I agree. And I think that short-term, McMissile believing this cover story 
quote unquote that Mater has short term, it works. Right. Even how Mater keeps sort of failing up to help them. Yeah. It's in line with the character. Um, one of the other things I, I do want to talk about that they did get right. The animation here is still stellar. Like this Tokyo Grand Prix is incredible, but it's just such a jarring shift back to lightning because now we've gotten involved with this whole plot with the spies, but oh yeah, we have to get racing back in. Well, not only that, but you have Mater who knows how much this means to McQueen. Remember, McQueen is here because Mater called to defend him. Right. And was made fun of and was picked on by Francesco. That's how we got him here. And he just leaves to go on his quote-unquote date in the middle of the race while he is spotting for lightning? Right. Mater in the first movie doesn't do that. Mater in the first 20 minutes of this movie doesn't do that. Right. This is the step backwards for the sake of. We stepped back because. Because we did not know how to push this story forward without watering down a character. And I think this is another instance where lightning gets watered down because he blames Mater for everything. Yes, it is Mater's fault because Mater was talking to um, Holly. Holly, thank you. Shift well in the in his headset, and lightning thought he was making calls because he he says go outside. Now they're on the same frequency, by the way, and somehow lightning yeah. can't hear her. He can only hear Mater. Even though they're on the same channel, which how she would even not got work. into that channel is not even accurate. It would be two channels, but yeah. Anyway, it costs Lightning the race, and he lets Mater know as much. And to me, this is where it's like you would have done this in the first act of the first film. You have grown out of this, so like there was a way to put Mater down and make him feel so bad about what happened where he still would have left without having lightning be mean again, which was a big point of it. It is what we said last week stops cars from being a perfect film because you lose the main character because he becomes unlikable. So I wish we would not have reverted back to that where he puts him down so hard. And it also would have shown growth for Mater because Mater would have been like, Oh my gosh, I cost him this race. He let me come with him. And, and go on this adventure and I'm just so happy to be here and I messed it all up. Because he does have those internalized feelings later once McMissile really puts him down. And he's like, this is such a great cover. And meanwhile, he's just totally insulting who Mater is as a person. So I feel like to have that come from his best friend and see Mater have to examine and confront those feelings and what he did to cost lightning the race, that would have been good character growth for him. I actually think that lightning is totally justified in his reaction because not only did it cost him the race, but Mater was also not where he was supposed to be the entire time. Right. This is why lightning does not take him with him on his races because you know, it, it's, it's like Doug, ooh, squirrel, and he's gone. Like, 
I think that McQueen is justified in reacting and behaving the way that he does, quite honestly. I mean, yes, anybody would be furious, but I'm just saying this is the type of behavior that he learned to grow out of in the first one. This is what Doc taught him not to do. So he knows how to conduct himself. And I just feel like it would have been more effective if we just saw Mater feeling bad without having lightning being so heavy handed and explaining you cost me everything. The di- but, but the difference is lightning was just mean because he was obnoxious and he was self-righteous and he thought he was better than everybody else in the first movie. In this case, he's annoyed because he's annoyed. He's annoyed because something happened to him. There was a cause and effect. There is no cause and effect in the first movie. Yeah. So. I I guess I I just, I feel like we don't need the I told you so moment. Are we ready to move on to Italy? Yeah, but I do want to say that another good laugh is when um, Mater leaves the note and says, P.S. I didn't mean to order that movie. That's hysterical. I forgot about that note. Yeah, that's that's great. It's a wink and a nod to adult humor without going too far. But then you then you water it down with PS, PPS. Hey, that's funny. Yeah. So uh, moving on. Um, bef- Let's talk about how we get how we're getting to Italy. Right. So Mater goes to the airport. McMissile and Shiftwell get him. They put him on the plane. And he, as you said, fails upward to help them. So they think that he is a spy. They believe that he is a spy. His intelligence is helping them. He's calling out things that they wouldn't see because he knows cars. He knows engines. Like Mona Lisa Vita. Yeah, it's this whole thing is just it. This should have been where the movie really took off. But it only it only happens in service of the film when it's convenient and when they need it. Instead, you get a moment where Mater more or less tells them he's not a spy. And they just like don't they ignore it. Yeah. Because do you know how many times they should have figured out that he is not a spy just by virtue of. He clearly is not trained properly. It's very clear that he's out of place. But when he goes, oh, yeah, you guys are spies? Wow. I wanted to be a spy when I was a kid. You wouldn't say that if you were a spy that knew you were intercepting other spies. Well, I think that's where they're trying to write for comedy because every time he does that and every time he tries to protest, they they end up complimenting him. Like, oh, such a great cover story, or no, of course you are, you're great. But at the same time, they're supposed to be the smartest people in the room at all times that are going after this international crime scheme, and and you just dumb them down. Well, I think they do sort of pepper that in with Shiftwell, because she does say she's more of a tech person, she's not a field agent. And McMissile is the one who pulls her in because he doesn't have his uh, his right hand man anymore. Yeah. He got crushed. Um, one of the things they do get right here is 
Pixar just nails Italy oh, yeah. well before Luca. It's gorgeous. The Grand Prix looks great. The road looks great. The backs the background looks great. I mean, the setting is unbelievable. I mean, this is the the, the animation in this movie is never ever a problem. It always looks good. It, they they do nail all of their settings. Um I think that's why they probably chose to take this internationally because they just captured the Route 66 era so well. This is kind of a flex to show what else they can do and how amazing they can make real world settings look, but they should flex because it's, it's perfect. Well, it's not just that, but they're looking at international distribution Somebody in Venice taking their kid to go see a Cars film doesn't care about California and Route 66. Right. You know, so you you do have to kind of broaden your horizon, which I think is why now we're getting all of these stories and fairy tales that are taking us to Mexico, to Colombia, to Italy. You know, like we're not we're not staying in the United States anymore. Not that they ever all did. I mean, we went to Germany, we went to Belgium, we went to Norway, but everything is starting to spread out a little bit mm-hmm. just to have more of an international appeal and international audience. Um, Lightning wins this race. To me, the the big moment here is when McMissile says to, uh, to Mater, and I'm sort of paraphrasing, how good it is and how well he plays the fool. Yeah. That it's a genius cover-up or a genius cover story. This is great writing. Yes. You want to make a character feel bad you, or, or you want to feel for a character? That's how you do it. Yeah, this is such a pivotal moment in this film. What do we think about... Um, because part of this scene is that Mater uh, needs a disguise because there, he's going to impersonate the tow truck um that's got a hand in the uh all in all ring right right with the lemons yeah so they trick him out with all these bells and whistles and to me part of the comedy comes from you've got all these mater catchphrases like shoot and all that and now they're they're triggering what his uh his upgrades can do um i think it's sort of funny at first um, but then it sort of ends up falling flat. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean... Like, I, are we playing to Mater's strengths or does this feel forced? I think that accidentally using phrases that he uses all of the time to set off weapons, I think that it works. I think the fact that he doesn't realize what he's doing gets played out. I think that when they're fitting him for disguises, again, if you couldn't tell then that he's not a secret agent, I don't know, other than the fact that he's already told you he's not, I don't know what else he can do. I'm a taco truck. I'm a this. I'm a this. I'm a this. It, it, it's just childish. And again, would Mater do that he probably would because he'd be excited and he gets to, in his mind, play secret agent. Um, to me, that's more forced than his typical way of speaking, setting off 
that gone. Yeah, exactly. But it is well balanced because you do have that sort of humor as the lead in for when McMissile delivers this really low blow as far as saying uh, this fool character that he's made up is a great cover story. And meanwhile, you know, Mater, as well as the audience knows that this is just who he is. Yeah. All right. Let's get to London. Um, so Mater... Holly and Finn, they all get captured. They're put into Big Bentley, which is very good humor, by the way. It's clever, but I feel like this is a little bit too elaborate. Now now you're sort of taking us back to that first scene where cars are being suspended in the air and they're tied to the gears of Big Ben and like how? I'm not I'm not gonna worry about the how at this point. <laughs> um we're we're, we're watching anaphomorphic cars acting as secret agents i'm not gonna i'm not gonna worry about the how but this is again i'm not a spy and they're like what (laughs) now you listen now you're gonna listen to him um the best part about this is the placement of the bomb that they go okay well now, we don't know why they couldn't kill Lightning McQueen. We don't find out until later that Sarge switched the oil. We just know that he got out of range of the camera. The camera, by the way, is brilliant, though. Oh, yeah. It's a great cover. Yes. It's so inconspicuous. You're hiding it right in plain sight. That whole through line, I actually really liked. Agreed. I, I thought that that was really smart. Um, And I think that planting the bomb on Mater was very smart. Because they knew that he would find a way out and that he would get to the pits and that he's the person that's going to be closest to lightning. So they not only eliminate the quote-unquote American agent, but they're also taking care of Lightning McQueen. Um, So I thought that that was really well done. Um, But as the two of them start to run through London together drive through London together. Fly at one point. Fly at one point. Like they're Mary Poppins. Yeah, and they got rockets, which apparently is street legal in a Grand Prix. Um, They end up in front of the Queen. Well, that wasn't Lightning's rocket. It was, it was Mater. Mater's. It was part of his uh, his upgrade. Right. Um, But no one seemed to blink an eye, even Francesco, that Lightning McQueen is now grabbed onto Mater and they're using a rocket to propel themselves but again be that as it may i'm not gonna dissect that um but no one would be allowed that close to the queen with an active bomb correct or or allow her to say no let me see this play out i mean it's a great moment for mater that he calls it out that he figures it out that he knew all along who it was I think that the logic was sound. I think that as he, to their credit, everything that he called out was something that was planted earlier in the movie. So him tying it all up makes a lot of sense. Good moment for him, but um, yeah, it's it's just, I'll suspend reality to a point. The Queen of England is not going to sit there and watch a ticking time bomb and to your point say, let's see what happens. Oh, 
And they also would have been shot out of the sky. I mean, Mater parachutes in with lightning. They would have never made it that far. And I, I think that's it. They just went too big with it because I like that Mater is starting to own some of the devices where he knows what he can do now and he's employing it. And he's like, oh, I, I need the shoot. Not, not the gun kind. I need the second one because he needs the parachute. So he's able to embrace these new powers, articulate what he needs, get the job done. Lightning puts his faith in him. Um, and I really like how he figures out that it's been Axelrod the entire time, not just as far as putting the pieces together, but it's very clever that he knows it's voice activated. So he needs to be in proximity to Axelrod to, first of all, save his own life and deactivate this bomb, but it's also going to expose him. And that's why he did want it done in front of the queen so that the whole thing would be out in the open. So I, I get that. I see why they did it. I understand the mentality here, but it was just too big. Um, and then I also like the reveal that Fillmore and Sarge uh, are kind of still at it the whole time, but now they're working as a team and they were the ones who switched out lightning's oil and that's how he was saved. All right. Are we ready to talk about the uh, voice cast here? Yes. All right. Um, let's talk. We're not going to go and talk about, the existing cast that we've already broken down. We're just going to talk about the new characters, starting with Michael Caine as Finn McMissile. Folks, it's Michael Ethan Caine. Yeah. You squandered having Michael Caine in your movie. He's one of the greatest actors of our time. One of the best Ebenezer Scrooges of all time. If not the best. Alistair Sim is still probably at the top of the list for me but i mean it's it's 1a and 1b be that as it may yeah it it grieves me to have this many negative comments in a film with michael caine in it emily mortimer plays holly shiftwell and she's fine i mean i don't blame the cast for any of the problems that we have in this movie the cast was fine um she could have been anybody i mean that's the thing right i mean there's it's not a nuanced performance she did a good job but this could have been emily blunt it could have been Haley atwell it like it, it could have been any it could have been kate winslet you know what i'm saying like it, it it's just a very one-dimensional character yeah and it is sort of surprising that they didn't get one of those actresses because when you get somebody that's the caliber of Michael Caine, usually they will draw other big name talent to the project. That's not a knock at Emily Mortimer though, because Disney seems to like her. I mean, she came back as our Jane for Mary Poppins returns. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she was awesome in that. She was great in that movie, but she wasn't Mary Poppins. Emily Blunt was right. Uh, John Turturro plays Francesco Bernoulli. Hey, Another one, John Turturro, very, very sneaky, sir. You you just, you can't miss with John Turturro. Yeah, he's always somebody that when they pop up on screen, you're just delighted to see them. And I really like the Francesco character. I like the design. Uh, I love the ka bumper sticker as a, a diss to lightning. 
Um, I love that he's so easily rattled and then falls apart when he sees his mama in the stands. Like the whole thing is just great. He's probably the biggest comic relief in this film, which you should be getting from Mater, but they took it too far. Eddie Izzard plays Sir Miles Axelrod. Um, and I thought that Eddie Izzard did a very good job. Um, I thought that this was a, actually, this may have been the best performance in the film um, because Eddie Izzard does such a good job portraying a character that you are supposed to trust, that is doing the right thing. And yet at the same time, the flip at the end, it's so diabolical, but plays it straight the whole time. It's it is, I think, probably the best performance in the movie. Yeah, it's just a great concept and a great character. He's like a crooked politician where, you know, he's saying all the right things and he's charming the media in these interviews, but he's behind it the entire time. Um, We got final thoughts on Cars 2. I mean, do, do we really need to give you our final thoughts on Cars 2? <laughs> well, I, I do want to sort of sum this up in some sort of concise way, because we've done a lot of complaining. I think there are great bones here, but I feel like the biggest thing working against this film is the setting because they just went too big with it. I think if you had pared back, set it not too far from Radiator Springs so that the main characters that we grew to love in the first one that bring the charm to the first one could have had a little bit more of a role in this and they were part of figuring out who's behind this scheme, I think it would have served the film much better because you you lost too much. I mean, did you lose anything not having like Flo have a major role? No, not necessarily, but you lost Sally completely. Their relationship does not progress at all in this movie. So that's a big miss. And I think that, it just diluted so much of the charm and what makes us fall in love with the original cars by not having those elements from Radiator Springs here. And taking some of those characters with you on the road was not enough to balance it all out. My big problem with this movie is that it feels out of place. It doesn't feel like a Cars movie. It doesn't even feel like a natural sequel to the original this doesn't seem like a sequel to the third. This does not seem like a movie that exists within the Cars universe. Yeah. If this would have been a movie that they did as a straight-to-home video release, I would have been like, okay, that makes sense. You did something different. The tone is different. The setting is different. I mean, even the, I don't even care that they took it international with the setting. I don't even care about that. Everything about this movie just doesn't add up in regards to feeling like it belongs in the same franchise. If this would have gone straight to DVD, VHS, streaming, I would have said, makes sense. You're doing something different. It's completely separate from the rest of the movies. It's completely Mater's movie. So you go and do an offshoot. That's fine. It's not unlike what Disney used to do back in the day. This just doesn't feel like a natural continuation of a story that you would have in a theatrical run. So in other words, it should not have been titled Cars 2. It should have been Mater Gets It Done. It could have been Cars, Mater's Adventure. 
Cars made her spy movie. You could have been, I mean, Return of Jafar is a more natural sequel to Aladdin and went straight to VHS than this was a natural sequel to the Cars film and got a theatrical release. Right. But we are interested in knowing what you have to say about Cars 2. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip, just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly checked for discounts to make sure we were guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. So if you were interested in completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, perhaps you want to take a trip out to California and see cars land for yourself, I am more than happy to help out with that. You can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news, but before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney inspired art at karma and As always, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code monoreal10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's services, all of her artwork. It's online at karma and That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. So, Donald Glover and his brother are going to be writing the Lando miniseries. For Disney Plus. Totally good with this. Um, I loved Lando in Solo. I thought Donald Glover was amazing in the role. Yeah, this is where it's like as exhaustive as some of these sequels and franchises spinoffs are. This is somebody you're always happy to see. I just find it very interesting that this gets announced now that they're writing it during a strike in which nobody's supposed to be working. Yeah. I think that it's in very poor taste to be announcing projects now, regardless of when the deal was made. This could have been made before the strike and they're just talking about it now, but I don't know that that seems a little weird. Why would you hold this for two months? If you knew two months ago you were doing it, like why would you only only start talking about it now. So the it doesn't make sense as far as a press release goes, but I just think it's a little bit in poor taste. And I'm wondering, you know, I don't know what Donald Glover's uh, union affiliations are. I mean, I would think that he's a SAG member, but I'm wondering if he's not part of the Writers Guild, if he's maybe doing this to help his brother launch a career, if his brother's not in a union, 
And if that's the case, it's really bad timing because that is the very definition of scabbing. When you are taking jobs from the people in the union because they actually can't work right now. And I'm not, I don't want that to sound accusatory because like I said, I don't know what his affiliations are, but because of the timing, how else are you announcing this now? Yeah, I to me, it's suspect that you're announcing that people are writing things, that people have been hired to do things, that none of this should be announced during a strike. And if you if you made the deal three months ago, four months ago, they would have announced it three months ago, four months ago. That's what I'm saying. So you're announcing it. Now, I've, I will go on record and say that while I don't think a majority of writers are currently working on scripts for major studios. I believe that all of them are working independently. I think that they're taking this downtime to write their passion projects. And I think that you're going to see a lot of movies get made that came out of this strike when people had extra time on their hands. Oh, I don't need to worry about writing this Star Wars sequel that nobody's asking for right now. I can go make this movie. I can go write my passion project about a cat that's also a supervillain. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just going to see a lot of other films, which I think is good for indies. I think it's good for the small studios because that's who's ultimately going to buy this stuff. But I do believe that while not writing specifically for the big studios... I think a lot of these writers are actively writing on their own. That's oh, yeah. what I think. And even if you're not in the union, like people are going to capitalize on this because now is the time to get in because these studios are going to need content. Or in the best case scenario, you said it, indies. Like we saw this happen in the 90s when people got exhausted with blockbuster films. I, my hope is that that's what comes out of this strike is that you do get a bunch of fresh voices like how in the 90s the Kevin Smiths and the Quentin Tarantinos of the world were, you know, springboarded. Yeah. I, and I think that you're going to see a renaissance of the indies. Well, we're interested in knowing what you have to say about the latest news. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio, or you can email us monorailradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. I just gave you that social media. We are also on threads and TikTok at Monorail Radio. And for links to everything related to the show, including where you can subscribe and rate us on your podcast platform of choice, that is all online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.